Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 114th program in this series. In this program, I'm going into John chapter 18. This is when Jesus goes to the garden and he is arrested. In John chapter 17, we have the record of what John apparently overheard Jesus saying when Jesus was expressing his last prayer just before he gets arrested. And I spent a lot of time talking about John chapter 17 in the previous programs. But in John chapter 18, we have the arrest taking place and the trials that follow. And so there's a lot to talk about here in John chapter 18. Now, beginning in verse 1, it says that when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. All right, now there's a lot that has happened in order to get to verse 3. What has happened is that Judas has acquired a detachment of troops in order to arrest Jesus, and Judas has led them to where he believed Jesus could be found. Now, there is a lot of disorganization that is taking place in this arrest because the religious leaders did not want to act on this evening. The main reason why is because Jesus told them that he was going to be killed on the Passover. This was explained in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 and 2. And he said this publicly, and so people knew that he had said this, and obviously the religious leaders did not want this to happen on the same evening that he said that this was going to happen. But what Jesus did during the last Passover was he exposed Judas as being the person who would betray him. When he exposed Judas, well, then they would have to act on this evening. They would have to act right away because Jesus could just simply relocate without letting Judas know where he was going. And he could go places where Judas would never expect him to go. And so it would be very difficult to find Jesus at the time that they would want to arrest him. Now, I spoke about this earlier in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. Simon Peter, therefore, motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Jesus spoke about someone who would betray him. And so Peter was asking, well, who is it? In verse 25, then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Verse 26, Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, 
Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. And I spoke about this in the previous messages in John chapter 13. And so I'm not going to talk about the details that I explained back then. But here, Jesus exposes Judas and tells him that if he's going to do something, he better do it really fast. So Judas left, he went, and he told the religious leaders that Jesus knew what was going on. And if they were going to do something, they had better do it right away. So they were going to act on an evening, on a night, that they didn't expect that they would be acting. They didn't expect that they would be doing anything like this on this evening. Otherwise, they would have been much better organized. And as we go into John chapter 18, you'll find a number of verses where you can see that they were simply not that well organized. Now, Judas would have several responsibilities as part of his agreement to betray Jesus. The first thing that he would need to do is he would need to accuse Jesus before the Roman authorities of a crime that violates Roman law. And it's going to have to be a serious one. It's going to have to be the kind of crime that they would execute him over. This is the first thing that Judas is going to have to do. The next thing he's going to have to do is help the Romans find Jesus and so that he could be arrested. And this is what's happening in John chapter 18, is that Judas is taking the Roman soldiers to where he believes Jesus can be found. And there would be a number of places where Judas could take them if he wasn't found here. And so this is just simply the place where it all happens. The next thing that Judas is going to have to do is he is going to have to testify against Jesus at the trial. So there are three things that Judas has to do. The first thing he has to do is he has to accuse Jesus of a crime. The second thing is that he's going to have to help them locate Jesus, find who he is, and identify him so that they arrest the correct person. And then the third thing he is going to need to do is he is going to have to testify at the trial of Jesus. He does not testify at the trial. In fact, from what we can tell, it appears that Judas disappeared right after Jesus was arrested. And I'll explain why in just a moment. Judas took money. He took 30 pieces of silver in order to betray Jesus. And we know from the other Gospels that he went and he returned the money that was given to him. So he returns the money that was given to him. He doesn't keep the money. And he proclaims that he betrayed innocent blood right there in the temple. He confessed that he did something that was wrong. He did not go to the Roman compound to testify against Jesus at his trial. These are indicators that Judas had something else in mind. And I presented in the previous messages the possibility that what Judas was trying to do was he was trying to put Jesus in a circumstance such that Jesus would have to assert himself as the messianic king, wage war against the Romans, or they were going to capture him and execute him. And it appears that Judas expected Jesus to resist and wage war and establish the messianic kingdom. This is what I think he was trying to do, although we don't have enough evidence to really say that this is the case. I'm just presenting my opinion concerning what was going on. And so when Jesus did not resist, 
Well, this is not what Judas expected, and so he returned the money. He confessed that he did something wrong. He did not go to the trial. So these are the things that are going on here. Again, in verse three, then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. So he has a detachment of troops, and these are the Roman soldiers. There would be somewhere between three hundred and six hundred men, three hundred and six hundred Roman soldiers would be sent in order to execute this arrest. This was the normal amount of troops that would be sent, but especially in this circumstance, I would expect that it would probably would be closer to six hundred because of the risk associated. With arresting Jesus, who was very well known. Now, in addition to that, we have officers from the chief priests and Pharisees. Looking at the parallel passages in the other Gospels, there were also some chief priests who were present. There were Pharisees who were present, and so it wasn't just their representatives, the officers. The chief priests were present at the arrest. Also, and they shouldn't be. This would be in violation of the laws of the Sanhedrin concerning trials that the judges were not to be participants in the arrest. So we have a lot of people here. We've got the Roman soldiers. We've got a few chief priests. We've got officers of the temple of the Sanhedrin of the temple compound. There are a lot of people who are going to this garden in order to arrest Jesus. Now it also says at the end of verse three that there were lanterns and torches. This gives the indication that this arrest is taking place at night, which would make sense, of course, because this is the Passover. They've just had the Passover meal. You have the Passover meal at twilight. Of course, it's night. It's going to be nighttime, and here we have the officers from the chief priests and Pharisees. Conducting an arrest. Now, this is in violation of the laws of the Sanhedrin, because according to the laws of the Sanhedrin, there was to be no arrest at night. If there was an arrest at night of anybody, then this was considered to be a secret arrest because everybody's at home or they're in bed. There were never to be any secret arrests. All arrests were to be public. So they would do it only during the day. So they are violating the laws of the Sanhedrin at this time by participating in this arrest. Now it's the Romans who are actually going to arrest him, and the Romans have no such restrictions. But it's important to understand the magnitude of what's taking place here. You can see the disorganization of the religious leaders that they were not prepared to do this. On this evening, but they're doing it anyway, and they're going to violate their own laws in the process of participating in this arrest. Going to verse four, John chapter eighteen, verse four. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, "Who are you seeking?" They answered him, "Jesus of Nazareth." Jesus said to them. I am he, and Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. 
Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now why did they fall to the ground? Why did they back up? Why, why did they draw back and hit the ground? He just simply asked them, Who are you all looking for? I mean, we've got a lot of people here. Over 300 people armed with lanterns, torches, battle weapons. These guys are ready for a serious battle that they expect will probably take place if Jesus decides to resist knowing his history concerning miracles and things that he's been able to accomplish before. And the crime that Judas accused him of would have been sedition, that he was asserting himself as the messianic king of Israel. This conversation took place later at the trial at the Roman compound. So they're going to arrest someone who is supposedly guilty of sedition, who is wanting to wage war against the Roman authorities, obviously they're going to come with a great presence of force. And you've got all these people, all these men, heavily armed, ready for battle. And Jesus asked them, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. By saying this, it appears that whoever spoke and said this is who we are looking for, did not recognize him by sight. They were depending on Judas to point him out. But look at what Jesus says, what he responds with. He says in verse 5, I am he. And then in verse 6, now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Obviously, there's a lot more going on besides Jesus just saying, I'm the one you're looking for. I am he. There is a divine experience taking place. Now, we don't know exactly what was going on when he said, I am he. Now, maybe he said it in a way that he expressed the voice of God. Perhaps there was a deep, strong resonance that just took place. Maybe there was a little lightning and thunder. Whatever it was. That was going on, which we don't have the details of. Whatever was going on, it obviously was a big deal to all of these soldiers who are ready for battle. It was such a big deal. Whatever it was, was so powerful. What was expressed was so divine. The revelation of what was being expressed was that this was God manifested in the flesh. When he said, I am he, this must have been understood as, I am the living God. You may be looking for Jesus of Nazareth, but I am the divine presence. And this was expressed in such a profound, unique way that they drew back. All of these soldiers ready for battle, they drew back. And they hit the ground. Can you imagine these soldiers hitting the ground? Laying down on the ground with all of their armor and their weapons and the torches and the lanterns. Everything goes to the ground before Jesus. Now there's going to be a few moments that pass before they recover and get back up on their feet. And it appears that Jesus gave them a chance to pause 
and think seriously about what they were really doing, and about who they were really after, and about who they were in front of. But eventually, when they probably regained their composure after what just happened, which we don't have a description of, but whatever it was, we know it was exceptionally profound. When they got themselves together, got back on their feet, and shuffled around a little bit, probably. We have verse seven. Then Jesus asked them again, "Whom are you seeking?" And they said, "Jesus of Nazareth." Now this is the second time he asked the question, and they definitely do not say, "We are looking for you."、Uh, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Remember, that's who we're really looking for. Obviously, it appears. You're not the person we are looking for. If we're going to draw back and hit the ground over you just saying who you are, so hey, look, we're just going after Jesus of Nazareth. Maybe you could point us in the right direction. Maybe you could give us some ideas with regards to where we might go and find this guy. But instead, Jesus answered, and he says in verse eight, Jesus answered. I have told you that I am He. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which He spoke of those whom you gave me. I have lost none. He says, "I have told you that I am He." Now, He just said, "I am He," but it appears that when He said, "I am He." There was some kind of a disconnect, such that they did not recognize that he was saying that he was Jesus of Nazareth. It appears that he was saying, "I am the living God." So when he says in verse eight, "I have told you that I am He," that is another way of Jesus saying that he is the living God manifested in the flesh. That Jesus of Nazareth. Was really the living God who decided to come and live as a man, interact with the world, and do what He did throughout His ministry. So now, with this second phrase that He presents to them, there is a recognition that yes, sure enough, He is the person who they are looking for, and He asked that the rest of His disciples be released and not be a part of this. And of course, it appears that they complied with the desire of Jesus, and I personally think that they would be more than willing to do whatever Jesus would ask, especially after He caused them all to hit the ground just by saying, "I am He." But chances are, it was said with a little bit more force and power associated with it. But His disciples apparently were not that excited. About leaving, about going away, Jesus is about to be taken. He's about to be arrested. Look at what Peter decides to do in verse ten, John chapter eighteen, verse ten. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, first of all, you got to ask. What is he doing there? What is the servant of the high priest doing there? What business does he have there in the middle of the night? 
Obviously, there are a lot of interesting people who are here in order to be a part of this arrest, and he certainly should not be a part of it at all, especially being a representative of the high priest. As I explained earlier about the laws of the Sanhedrin, there was to be no arrest at night like this. But what does Peter do? Peter leaps out when he realizes that Jesus is about to be arrested, and he executes a Jewish Rambo. He goes after all of these people with a sword. This wasn't exactly a sword. The word used here describes a long ceremonial knife. So Peter lunges out towards 300 to 600 battle-ready Roman soldiers. An additional number of officers from the chief priests, we don't know how many there are, there are a lot of people out here to include the servant of the high priest. And Peter just goes right into all of them, wielding this long ceremonial knife, ready to go to battle to fight and bring the messianic kingdom into effect. And so that we can finally have the Davidic kingdom restored. Israel will be its own sovereign nation once again And Jesus will rule as the king over the land for all eternity. Now, this is, of course, not what happened. But this is the kind of enthusiasm that would be represented by Peter lunging into the crowd of all of these people. But then who does he go after? He goes after the servant of the high priest, the one person who is probably the least likely to present any resistance to Peter's attack. This is the one person who is the least likely to be a part of a battle. He was probably just there to record the event. And this is the guy who Peter goes after. Now, it could be that what Peter was thinking was that if he just sort of initiated the battle, if he got things going, that maybe the other disciples would come in behind him, you know, he would lead the charge, and the others would follow. And of course, they're going to have to pick somebody else to go fight with, because Peter already picked the weakest person there, most likely the weakest person who was there, the least likely to be armed. And so the other disciples are going to have to pick somebody else who is probably going to be a little bit more difficult to fight with. This is what's going on. Now, he took off the guy's right ear. Now, this can be a little bit awkward. If Peter was left-handed and he was wielding his knife with his left hand, then Malchus's right ear could be a reasonable target. However, considering the probability that Peter was right-handed, this would be a little different. If he was right-handed, and we certainly don't know, But if he was, if he was right-handed, then in order to hit Malchus's right ear, this would be an awkward strike. He would be wielding his knife in an awkward way that would not give him a whole lot of force behind the stroke of his knife. Unless, of course, Malchus turned around and was running away from him. If Peter was right-handed and Malchus was trying to get away from him, then it would make sense that he would take off Malchus's right ear. And being a knife, 
Peter would not have been able to apply enough force to really do a lot of damage to Malchus's head, and so you would expect that it would kind of ricochet off of Malchus's head and take off his ear instead. Not a lot of damage involved here, especially in comparison with the Roman soldiers who have these yard-long battle swords that are designed to crush a soldier's helmet and his skull with one sweep of the blade. And Peter goes after Malchus with this long ceremonial knife that's going to ricochet off of his head and take off his ear at best. This is the initiation of the great battle that doesn't take place. And I will explain this more in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 114th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 18, verses 1 through 10, and I was explaining some of the circumstances surrounding the arrest of Jesus. I explained that the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the Jews, were involved in an arrest that was contrary to the laws of the Sanhedrin. According to the laws of the Sanhedrin, there was to be no arrest at night. Otherwise, it would be considered to be a secret arrest. I also explained the three requirements or expectations of Judas by the Romans for the Romans to participate in this. Judas would have to accuse Jesus of violating Roman law. He would have to show them where they could find him, and he would have to testify at his trial. He did fulfill the first two, but he did not fulfill the third because, it appears, that he really didn't expect Jesus to allow himself to be arrested. And so in this program, I spent a little bit more time talking about the details of the role of Judas in the betrayal of Jesus. And then I also explained how Peter responded when he realized that Jesus was about to be arrested, that he led the charge. He went into the crowd to attack those who came to arrest Jesus And he went after the weakest link in the chain with a long ceremonial knife that would be used for sacrificing a Passover lamb. And he took off the ear of the person who was the least likely to be able to do anything if a conflict was to take place. And I'll explain this more in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net